Hello there, listener. My name is Seth Decker, and I am a director. I'm here to sell you something, and it's not Blue Apron or subscription service or MeUndies or anything like that. It's an opportunity to give to a really cool Indiegogo. If you go to Indiegogo.com and type in The Bludgeoning or Manchester Media, you will be greeted by a page for a horror comedy that we've been working on for the last few months. I've been self-financing the pre-production so far. Our hotels are booked. Flights are scheduled for our cast to come in. We are ready to shoot. This Indiegogo is just to help us upgrade our equipment. We know that we can deliver a really killer image on the equipment that we have in-house, but being able to rent some legitimate Hollywood toys would just mean the world to us. We're going to use this Indiegogo to rent an Ari Alexa Mini. That's the same thing they shot Blade Runner 2049 on. We're going to be bringing in a really cool lighting package that allows us to light really amazing colors and bring a really vibrant feel to Salem, where we're going to be shooting the movie on location. I'm excited about this. This is a huge step for me in my career, potentially turning into the ability to to make movies professionally for us and this team. And it's been made possible by all of these cool podcasts that we've been working with as as creative outlets over the years, teaching us how to, to dissect stories. Now we're making our own story. It's really awesome, and I'm so excited. Please go to Indiegogo.com, type in Montressor Media or The Bludgeoning. Every single level has really cool rewards that exponentially get cooler. Just starting off at the $10 level, you're going to get access to a digital comic of this movie. We're going to do a comic adaptation of the movie that you'll get access to just for giving us the 10 bucks to get this project done like that in and of itself is amazing but we have levels going all the way up to a producer level where you could get imdb credit for a feature film potentially going out through distributors like lionsgate or shutter or a24 or the bludgeoning that's where we're aiming no promises yet but that's where we're aiming we're guaranteed an amazon release at this point so like the project is happening Do you want to buy a ticket onto the train is the question. I'm not selling any kind of subscription service. I'm selling a real cowboy dream of making movies on our own dime, on our own turf, on our own rules. There's no producer studio oversight. We are the ones making this movie. I think that's awesome. I appreciate all your time. I'm sure I've taken enough of your time for this podcast that you're listening to currently. I appreciate you you taking the time to listen to me. Please consider giving to the Indiegogo or checking us out on social media. If you just want to chat about the project more, I'm here for that. At Montressor Media on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. Reach out to us there if you have any burning questions. This isn't celebrities in Hollywood that you can't reach out to. We're real people that you can talk to about an actual professional movie that's being made i think that's really killer please consider giving to the project all right going live in three two one and hello and welcome to geeks with shields your home for all things good and nerdy in this the darkest timeline i'm lord Brent Ulrich, and with me as always is his shield brother axel Wright. how's it going today man it is okay. We're recording this on a Sunday, peek behind the curtain, and on the weekends because most of my friends work the night shift and I don't. My sleep schedule goes way out of whack. So I was up till, I don't know, 5.30 or something like that a.m. And so I'm like, I'm a little groggy right now. <laughs> 
trying to get through it. How are you? Uh, all in all, pretty good. Uh, got to hang out with some friends yesterday, played some 40K. That was good to get back in the habit of. I heard you got rolled. <laughs> I got stomped, and he didn't even know what the fuck he was doing. It will happen. <laughs> I would I would be more upset if I gave two shits about winning. It was just so hilariously one-sided. Fair enough. I've been in fights like that before, so. <laughs> I just, I mean, why should I take him to buy a lottery ticket, the amount of sixes he was rolling? Ooh. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, we move right on in. Yeah, we're going to go to the next part of the podcast where we talk about our patrons, the people that like us so much they give us money to hear us talk about such inane details. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krub, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Angry, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Nathan Wells, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, and Derek Takate. Thought I could do it all in one breath. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, make that list a little bit longer, make that challenge a little bit harder for me, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode, that's a dollar a month, that's early access to all our content, and it makes sure we can up the production value, quote unquote, of this. What it really means is, I'm not sure what it means. We can buy a better fridge to keep Woundvog in. <laughs> so, speaking of... Ulrich pointed out to me that it has been some time since we did a quote-unquote regular episode of Geeks with Shields, which is such a weird phrase at this point because we do – it's almost just like regular is doing not regular things or doing the, the offshoots or whatnot. So I don't even know what quote-unquote normal is now. But Ulrich was like, hey, let's go back to an old standard, something that we like to do, our Gobbinot Forgotten series. And – since we're going to be recording on a day where me, Axel, is hanging out with his good friend Woundvog anyway, why don't we get him on there, Woundvog? Hello. Just you wait. You're getting a better refrigerator, an escape-proof refrigerator. <laughs> we'll see about that. So One anyway, air holes. So anyway, that's what we're doing today. And for anyone who has not listened to our previous Gob and Not Forgotten, it is a little, I don't know if series is the right word. It's an idea. It's a series. That, We've done enough of them. Okay, well, it's a series where the basic idea is simply that we talk about shows, movies, games, whatever, something that we feel like is not talked about frequently enough anymore. Usually it's older stuff from, you know, some time ago that where we're basically saying that, like, hey, this isn't around anymore, or at least it isn't around the way we think it is, but we have not forgotten it. That's really all it is, and it's mostly just an excuse to talk about stuff we like that maybe isn't as popular anymore. Yeah, or, or, things never was. Like, or things like, man, it would be fun to do an episode on that. I can't really fill more than 10 minutes with it. Let's put it in here. Uh, great ice-breaking episode for first-time guests. This is one of our most utilitarian episodes, but they're also one of the most fun to do. True. only thing that's difficult for me is that I keep a list of every topic I've used and so I could try to not repeat myself, and sometimes it gets hard to come up with new topics. But today, I'll kick us off because I decided to go with something that I've been going to – on YouTube, right, I just do YouTube nonsense, and for some reason, every now and then, YouTube will just start recommending a bunch of clips from something that I have no idea why, but for some reason, my YouTube has decided that I need to be inundated with clips from a show from the aughts called My Life as a Teenage Robot, which I admit I enjoyed quite a bit back in the day. <laughs> you know it? Oh, yeah, I remember it. I don't think it ever clicked with me, but I can't remember why. Yeah, Woundvog? Uh, I, I remember enjoying it. Uh, 
can't say I remember a whole lot of episodes, but probably more than I think. Yeah, same deal for me. So, like, I don't have too much information to share, but the basic idea for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, because, again, as far as I know, it was never very big. It was, I think, Disney Channel, I think. Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon? Okay, yeah, because it's sense. supposed to be coming up in their uh, version of Smash Brothers. Ah, that is character, I think. Well, she'll kill everyone then, because the basic idea of My Life as a Teenage Robot is that there's this super scientist who creates a, well, a robot character in the form of a teenage girl named XJ9, colloquially called Jenny, and she designs her as a teenager, so she has the personality of a teenager, and she goes to... Eventually, she goes to school because she convinces her mom, like, hey, I want to hang out with other people, quote-unquote, my age. And then other than that, it's a pretty standard superhero show with a teenage protagonist. There's a lot of, like, cartoons that, like, touched on this idea. It just happened to be one where, you know, it was, a like, a teenage girl uh, instead. And I don't really know what else to say about that other than also they had this clever thing where because Jenny was a robot, she had that cartoon robot quality of her the mechanisms of her body made no sense and there was just always some new thing that comes out. Like, yeah, what's, there's a term for that. What's it called? Uh, I know hammer space is a term I've used for it. Oh but. no, it's like, I can't remember, but there's literally, it's like, it's based on a cartoon of the character always, I think it's like utility belt syndrome where the character Maybe. always has exactly what they need. Like there's an example of, there's an episode where Jenny is getting quote unquote, like mocked, by some super, like, popular kids who are, for some reason, into, like, old-school Elizabethan kind of clothing. Like, they're really rich kids. And then, I don't know the whole sequence of the episode. I just know that at one point, Jenny goes, please. And then she, like, activates something, and suddenly her body just, like, morphs into, like, a Queen Elizabeth crazy, like, clock on her head, like, Victorian outfit. And then she just spins... And, like, all the sharp parts of her outfit just rip apart the the two other kids' clothes to shreds. And that's all that happens. It's really kind of funny, but... Now, I don't remember where it came up, but I thought it was interesting. And I'm going to preface this by we are three hetero cisgendered men. But there is a very obvious transgender read to this show that the transgender community has openly embraced. That's right. I have read about this. Mostly it has to do with the fact that, so Jenny's mother calls her XJ9 repeatedly, which is implied that this is like, all right, this is her real name, but she is taking on a new name, a new identity, and trying to be like her own person. It's a separate person from who she was, quote unquote, born as. And a lot of the, her arc is about wanting to be this person instead. Be accepted uh, as a female, as a girl, and, you know, have all the teenage girl stuff outside of the, you know, basic mechanics of, well, you're just a robot, and there's a very clear through line that I can see, and it's like, I don't know if that was intentional, but it's good that it's there. I feel like that probably wasn't intentional, but I will say that I'm of the opinion that authorial intent doesn't matter, so I don't yep. think it matters that it wasn't intentional, because it's definitely there, and it's definitely relatable to, I think, kids who have a feeling like that. The idea that I was a robot, but I identify as a girl, I guess, is the way to put it. So Yeah, and I mean, given a lot of the unpleasantness of a lot of these shows and their creators, it's like, if we can mine one that's not, like, still good, but also has a positive element to it, it's like a a drop in the bucket of the Ren and Stimpy's of the world. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I will also say that, um, 
my life as a teenage robot to me, and I mean this in the best possible way, felt like a natural continuation of what like the Powerpuff Girls was doing, especially when it comes to how Jenny as a superhero is basically Superman. Like she, there's a great episode where there's just like this crazy muscular wrestler bodybuilder villain guy. And like, he's a big threat to everyone else, but he literally can't even like scratch Jenny. And so she just starts laughing as he's like throwing cars at her and stuff. Yeah. If I remember that was like always the conceit of the show was that she could handle all this superhero stuff fine, but the real traumas and tribulations was being a teenager. Yeah, exactly. It's the basic joke of the show and that, like, the action, I remember being choreographed pretty well because, again, the creativity of the show is that Jenny would come up with just new stuff that just comes out of her robot body for a given fight. But, yeah, that wasn't what was stressful for her at all. <laughs> so There's also a pair of really creepy episodes that I do remember very well where the first one she – I forgot what she needs it for, but she asked her mom to make her look like a human girl because she's basically tired of being, you know, treated like a robot – but she wants it really quickly, so her mom makes her a as soon as fast as possible a essentially skin layer. Oh no! But but it looks like Raggedy Ann, so it oh, looks God, no. kind of bad. But it doesn't matter. Jenny's super excited. But that episode is more about like you know how it looks when up. But what's great is that there's a follow up later on that I remember better. Where all right, her mom has had more time to work on it. She makes a basically perfect looking skin suit, so that Jenny suddenly looks like a Kind of like Wendy from Wendy's. Like, she's got the red hair and super freckles and stuff, but she just looks like a normal girl. Except that the skin suit has, like, AI itself and starts communicating with Jenny and then starts trying to, like, make her be more of a girl than a superhero and give up on being a superhero. And, like, there's this kind of, like, Peter Parker thing going on where (laughs) Jenny has to kind of struggle between the responsibility that she has and maybe what she actually wants. and But then it kind of gets buried under a different plot line where basically the skin suit's trying to mind control her. But it's it's really good creepy stuff, I think. So. This show had some big ideas. I don't even know if it recognized its big ideas, but there's definite big ideas. Uh, but it was just one of those shows that I never like tuned in for on purpose, but it came up on my TV a number of times enough that I remember it pretty well. And watching all these clips on YouTube has been like, yeah, I think this is probably a pretty good cartoon, all things considered. <laughs> so, I think yeah. the only problem I have is I never watched it much. I don't remember why, but the only time I did watch it was like before or after Danny Phantom. It's like, well, I want to watch that, so I guess I'll watch this to get through it. Because that's the thing. Today's kids will never know. Having to watch the bumper show to get to the one you want. <laughs> yeah, and while My Life as a Teenage Robot is great, Danny Phantom was, like, absolutely amazing. That's the one so, I'm here for. I'll sit through you to get to this other one. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that was my first one. Ulrich, what's yours? Uh, This is a fun one. Like, it just kind of came to me out of the back of my head. I don't know what triggered this, but Micro Machines. So we've mentioned Micro Machines a few times on the podcast, mostly just because any time Ulrich tries to go <laughs> to the pod, uh, the the Oh, man. Thank you. Patrons. I just couldn't think of the word. Anytime Ulrich tries to go through the patrons, he mentions trying to do the Micro Machine voice. Because if anyone doesn't know, the commercials for Micro Machines involved a a man who sounded like an auctioner trying to talk about Micro Machines as fast as possible. Yep. He was, uh, he held, like, he held the record for fastest speech. Mm -hmm. 
I don't remember the exact things. But yeah, there were these great little commercials. He would pop on and talk to you as fast as possible about these little tiny cars. And this is something like, I feel again, lost a generation. But for those of us of the age, there was a craze of tiny toys. Your Mighty Max, your Polly Pocket, your Matchbox cars, and your micro machines. And yeah. basically what they were, were very detailed models of very rare vehicles scaled down to about maybe an inch. And they were RC. Weren't they RC? No, they made RC ones later. But the oh. first ones were just basic little mold cars with wheels. And you could put them in your pocket, and they were awesome because they were small. But they sucked because they're small, and they got <laughs> lost easily. I... Never collected any, so unfortunately, outside the commercials, I have no context on this. I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't allowed to get them because my mom was like, "No, you'll just lose that." I ended up getting a bunch uh, from a brother, one of my brother's friends, when he got too old, and it was awesome. But again, because they're small, I would lose them. And then so your mom was right. <laughs> yes, my mom was one hundred percent right. But then I don't know if you ever had this as a kid. You'd I would find one like six months later. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. What about you, Winfrey? Did you ever get any? Uh, I don't know if I ever had micro machines. I I had uh, I had more Hot Wheels, which were the basically macro machines. Yeah, Hot Wheels are still yeah. around pretty well. You can find them. I literally saw a Hot Wheels section at Walgreens, which was really oh, yeah. weird. But, Hot Wheels is big collectible. Yeah, but uh, like I remember, my cousin had one of the the big totes that looked like uh, again, like you said, the Polly Pockets uh, map, uh, adventure things. It was uh, I think it looked like an RV, but you opened it up and it yeah, was, that was yeah, cool. Uh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that one so well. That was one I wanted. Because that's the other cool thing. Eventually, they started releasing playsets. And the cool thing about the playsets was they were bigger versions of things like gas cans, RVs, toolboxes, what have you. And it opened up, and there was a miniature world inside for your miniature cars to play on. Basically, basically little plastic SimCity sets. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. I was never a Hot Wheels kid. I didn't like, you know, know, cars, whatever. That wasn't my thing. But when they were tiny, something about them being tiny, they can go on these tiny worlds, and then you can connect these tiny worlds together. It was just this brilliant marketing scheme. And recently they tried to bring them back, but they were cheap about it, and they wouldn't pay for the rights to, you know, do any of the models. So they're just, you know, blocky orange cars and blocky orange trucks. And it's like, that's not what made Micro Machines fun. What made Micro Machines fun is you could put it next to a picture of the actual car, and they were the same, but tiny. Hmm. And I don't understand this trend of, like, the 90s. It was it's like, it's cool because it's small. I don't know. I mean, you could argue... It probably comes from the natural feeling that kids have of being a small person in a big world. So small things they can relate to or they can feel closer to, even if they don't realize this is what's happening psychologically. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think the coolest thing was is you could literally put a dozen in your pocket, and when you're waiting for your parents to run errands, just pull a couple out, drive them around, do everything with them. They were just really cool, and they were really detailed. Like, that was the big thing. I guess. <laughs> Detailed. They looked like what they looked like. And I just ended up getting a whole bunch from, you know, my brother's friend and a couple play sets. And I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Like, man, micro machines were awesome. Like, and I wonder if anyone even remembers micro machines anymore. Cause I say the micro machine man joke. It's like, how many of our listeners actually get that? It's, it's funny. Cause for me, I, I have a hard time as a, I had a hard time as a kid, even understanding 
toys the way that I think other kids did. Like, don't get me wrong, there were toys that I was into, but they were almost all toys that had an intrinsic transformative property. Like, I was a big fan of the Beast Wars set, and there were Pokemon mm-hmm. Digimon toys that would transform into their their various other forms. So things where I could actually, like, modify and morph the toy, that was interesting to me. But just toys that were, like, not movable or didn't have joints or anything like that, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around that. Like, I remember seeing all the, you know, dinosaur toys, and dinosaurs are cool, but I was like, what do you do with them? I don't. <laughs> I don't understand that. And so cars, it's kind of the same thing for me. Like RC cars, I kind of got because you could control it and jump it and stuff, but not RC cars as a kid didn't make any sense to me as something that you could have fun with. (laughs) And it was usually as simple as you just move them around. Yeah. (laughs) I have play sets were the really cool thing because they were always disguised as something else and then it folded out into a full world. Mm -hmm. That's another thing of the 90s that kind of died was play sets. We had the 80s lead over of big-ass playsets. I do remember a bunch of those, yeah. But they also were the kind of things that, because I grew up poor, <laughs> I was All like, right. I don't understand how someone could get this. So You got one. Like, except for the very rich, rich kids, you were lucky if you got one, but you treasured it. Problem with micro machines is you lost the damn cars. It's like, well, I've got this kick-ass, you know, Alps highway, but nothing can fit on here. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> anyway, Wunvog, you got one for us? Yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> not so much gone anymore as it's starting to make a resurgence, but uh was always a fan of, uh, I think, what kind of became second fiddle to Pokemon after a point, but I always, I always enjoyed it just as much, if not a little more, Digimon. I have a strong memory <clears throat> of being in grade school, probably about second grade, and I had a Greymon t-shirt. And because this was at a time when, like, Pokemon and Digimon were both hitting the waves, there was mm-hmm. a, <laughs> I guess it would be the the first, you know, war conversation, things that would become, like, console war conversations or internet bullshit conversations. But I remember kids my age being, you know, Pokemon v. Digimon. I mean, back then I remember thinking it was a stupid conversation. But, <laughs> but yeah, that was totally a thing. <laughs> well, it's always always the continual scenario of, if you like, if you like the thing that is seemingly opposed to the thing I like, you must not like the thing I like, yeah. which is vehemently untrue. But well, especially funny in that case because, as far as I was concerned, Pokemon had the 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 gold medal when it came to <clears throat> games, but Digimon had the gold medal when it came to show because at the time I thought Digimon show was just far superior to the Pokemon show. So yeah, I'd argue it still is. Pokemon well, fans come at me for that one. I, I would argue that Digimon uh, Battle Tamers, the third season, is probably better than any individual Pokemon thing. So show show wise, not game wise. <laughs> and pulling it back a bit, like again to give a bit of a explanation or exposition, even to what it is. Digimon is a <clears throat> originally basically sold as Tamagotchi for boys. Uh, which then spiraled into some video games, which... Uh, now, admittedly, you mentioned Tamagotchi, and there's a whole yeah. possibility people don't even know what that is, but Fair. <laughs> Tamagotchi uh, was basically a little mechanical thing you held in your pocket that had a, quote-unquote, like, 
something inside it that was alive. Yeah, digital pet, yeah, basically. Yeah. They're originally, like, usually pastel-colored and cutie animals, where then they decided they're going to market it for boys, so now they're monsters and T-Rexes and tough. Sidebar, but one makes an appearance in Turning Red, which came out this year, so. Oh, yeah, 2002. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, Digimon monster <clears throat> version Tamagotchi. Continue. No. Sorry. Uh, he got turned into video games. Basically, uh, kid goes to digital world. There are monsters. He befriends and then fights with them. Again, very, very similar to Pokemon in that sense, but uh, the monster designs were always better. I think more varied and fascinating. I would say they're crazier. See, Pokemon yes, po- wild. Pokemon always had a very important from all its generations, even though Pokemon will stretch this idea, there's supposed to be a certain level of plausibility to Pokemon designs. They're supposed to seem, at the end of the day, like a creature you could go outside and see. Now, again, some generations have really stretched that idea. But Digimon, because the basic idea was that they were literal digital constructions, even within their own narrative, they could look like anything. They also were sentient completely. I mean, Pokemon are largely sentient, too, but most Pokemon can't talk. All Digimon can talk, like, yeah. with human speech. <laughs> yeah, conversation can be held, uh, which the games were big in Japan, didn't so much ever cross to the States, unfortunately, for uh, for their earlier versions. Oh, one more, I want to say, I think, important mm-hmm. distinction between Pokemon and Digimon. In Pokemon, the basic idea, right, gotta catch them all. Like, Pokemon are a thing to be collected, because Pokemon, as a s- idea, expanded from bug catching. But Digimon... While there are Digimon games where you can collect more than one, the general idea in the Digimon mythos is that you befriend one Digimon, and they are your partner and your friend, and, like, you work mm-hmm. together. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, of course, like, what, uh, what of course, draw, drew my attention as a child was uh, the anime series <clears throat> where, funny enough, it was probably one of the earliest forms of isekai. Oh, yeah, it totally is an easy yeah, guy. Which, it's literally a bunch of kids getting pulled out of the real, quote-unquote, real world and put into a fantasy world. Just in their case, it's literally a digital world. Yeah, which I I know you're not much in that loop for uh, this, Ulrich. Yeah, or do you even know what that term means, isekai? I figured it out through context. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, lo- it literally translates from Japanese to another world, and it's the name for genres where someone... Well, gets magic to a different place and basically becomes a hero there. And I don't expect you to know this, Ulrich, but in the late or in the early 2010s, there was a show that came out that's a bad show called uh, <laughs> called Sword Art Online. That was in Isekai, a bunch of people get pulled into a video game world, which was basically stolen from Dot Hack. But that's a whole another conversation. And and it was so popular that in the last ten years, that has flooded the anime market. Every Every season, just so many new isekai shows. And if you pay attention, like, you know, we kind of do, it can get exhausting. <laughs> I know of its name, and I know of its reputation, and I know that apparently it gets super incesty. Uh, Sword Art Online, yes, yes it does. But <laughs> my, my point was that other than the quality of Sword Art Online itself, it created a ripple effect of just suddenly we are flooded with shows like this for the last ten years. So, yeah. But weird. But not to detract too much further. Yeah, sorry. Uh, anyway, point is Digimon actually did it yeah. a long time ago, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Digimon's weird because I remember like when Digimon came out, like 
Digimon kind of supplanted Pokemon for me. Like, I loved Pokemon when it came out. But then I started watching the Digimon anime with my brother after school, and it kind of supplanted Digimon. And, like, the weirdest thing I remember thinking was, and I still think now, Digimon never merchandised as hard as Pokemon did. Like, you could get Pokemon anything in the craze of the 90s. But Digimon was a lot harder to find. I mean, again, they tried, but there was a lot of there was, it was a lot messier, unfortunately. Also, at this point, it's important to note that and I want to be I'm being very literal here. If you look up most profitable franchise, period, movie franchise, book franchise, anything franchise, it's Pokemon. Pokemon is the yeah. most profitable franchise in existence, period, and most of its profit comes from merchandise, not games, not cards, not the show, but just stuff, cups, shirts, whatever. So saying, like, Pokemon out merchandise blank is always going to be true. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking, like, in that early lead-up, is, I mean, Pokemon kicked down the door for the possibility of, you know, a digital monster-style fighting game. Like, that's why these two kind of butted heads. But Pokemon kind of cemented, like, and here's Pikachu t-shirts, and here's a stuffed Pikachu, and here's Pikachu, you know, stuff at Burger King, and here's the Pokemon movie. And you go, hey, Digimon, what you got? Uh, we've got, uh... Anyway, sorry. Uh, they also have similar names, which, you know, didn't help. You have forced, yeah, but, uh, forced a comparison. Yeah, but I mean, Digimon was like, we've got the, uh, War Greymon, and we're Garurumon. Cool, what else? Um, well, we've got this really bad movie we're gonna piece together. Mm-hmm. And... And again, therein lies so the problems. Is like where where Pokemon really cemented itself in the uh, in the cultural zeitgeist for children. Digimon just couldn't get the same foothold. A lot of it is uh, kind of background stuff. Like they also had a card game. However, they did not translate the card game one to one from Japan. So there are. There are points in the card game that just do not work because they don't do the same thing that they do, that they're supposed to. So the game is virtually unplayable from the old time. Literally, bro. I remember that. Uh, I remember everyone talking about that, like the Digimon cards, and then no one could figure out how to play. And I just yeah. thought we were stupid kids, but no, it literally was a broken system. Cool. Yeah, no, it's like there were cards that just literally had no text because they took it away. Uh, they're, you know, they tried to get a movie out before uh, the Pokemon movie did uh, because Digimon, or Digimon did have several big specials. However, because none of them were quote-unquote theater length, uh, because Japan does, like, high-grade like high grade shor- uh, OVAs. shorter OVAs. Yeah, original video animations. So it's like <clears throat> the quality will be amazing, but they'll usually only be... 40 to 50 minutes, they basically stapled together three different OVAs and tried to pass it off as one movie. See, I remember watching Digimon, the first movie, and having that thought of, like, this feels like two different movies that have been literally with two different groups of <laughs> of characters, but anyway. And that, and that is what they did, unfortunately. So <clears throat> I'd say, like, Again, it hit its peak with the third season, which... Digimon Tamers. Yeah. Oh. I, I, I said it wrong earlier because I was mixing it. Through the, but it's just called Digimon Tamers, and it's freaking amazing. Yeah. Anyway. And it's scarred a generation. Yeah, even with, uh, even with like, awkward 
like mid early mid two thousands dubbing. Uh, it's still it's still a great show. Uh, Terriermon is an amazing design. Gilmon is an amazing design, and Renamon has had more effect on people than I care to discuss in this <laughs> episode. Bum bum. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> yeah. There bring, we go. Bring, bring us back to the let's make Ulrich uh, uncomfortable <laughs> corner. It's not uncomfortable. It's just something that I paused and thought about the other day. It's like the amount, like, okay, we'll, we'll dip in politics. You know, Florida's going bug nuts about how Disney is, you know, grooming children. It's like, I don't know. There's been, like, grooming us to be furries for fucking <laughs> ever in children's cartoons. Yeah. Like, well, that's you what, that's what I mean tell you're that. adult, but you're like, a lot of sexy animals in this show, and animators are known perverts. I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm not even remotely saying that. I just noticed it the other day. It's like it's weird how many sexy animals there are in children's cartoons. Oh come on! When they when they made Judy Hops, they knew exactly what they were doing. Oh no! I 100 like the whole uh, Zootopia thing. They knew what they were doing. They they accepted. It. I'm just talking like the, our childhood was like. There's a lot of sexy animals in our childhood, and I'm not sure how intentional that was. Yeah, I mean it's it's been going on well before us. Again, it's oh like, yeah, animators are notoriously horny. Oh yeah, it's like, like I mean, you gain the power to draw boobs whenever you want. You're gonna draw boobs whenever you want. It's just look at old Tex Avery cartoons. Bugs Bunny was dressing up as a woman to uh to ju- or to entice his enemies. For years before any of us were born. Yeah, I didn't mean to go yeah. off on that particular comment. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying that, like, from a design standpoint, Renamon's design has stood the test of time. There is a large collection of people online. Don't who, Google like, Renamon without your safe search on. Is what we're saying. Even, yeah, exactly. Even despite that, it's a good design. Yes, it is. Uh, but unfortunately, the uh, the popularity kind of waned in the states after those seasons. A few came out, but never. Hit the same peaks. Well, Digimon Frontier, unfortunately, <clears throat> like you read, which is the series that came after Digimon Tamers, got just screwed because like it was a great show with a great idea that kind of morphed yeah. the idea of Digimon. It's basically Digimon Power Rangers. It's literally Digimon yeah. Power Rangers. Instead of having a partner, the kids turned into Digimon. It also had probably the best opening, not maybe not the most iconic opening, but mm-hmm. the best opening. But it was put in like a death slot where you could only see it like either when you were at school. So you had to be hickey, like playing hooky or five in the morning, five in the freaking morning. Like why? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. See, I never, I never caught it. Cause I mean, all the other Pokemon Digimon, they were Saturday morning cartoons or, you know, Monday through Friday afternoon cartoons. Yeah. Like, and then I caught a couple. Be- yeah. I caught a couple like, this is different and weird. And I don't recognize any of you. I don't know if it started on Disney XD. I just know that it was on there for a while. Oh, fuck. We got to circle back real quick, though. I think it was ABC Family stuff, but, yeah, it was right around the time that uh, Disney had purchased Stefan's products. Yeah. But the point is that someone who had control scheduling had no faith in Digimon Frontier for some reason. Yeah. That wasn't the weird point. They were dumping whatever anime they picked up on Disney XD at random time slots. Like, they didn't know what to do with it. But, no, we got got to circle back and talk about If we're going to talk about Renamon, we got to talk about Angelomon, the... Character okay, that's straight up an angel woman, so that's hard to. <laughs> anyway, huge knockers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Transformed from a cat, so again, yeah. The, the transfer or the the designs were crazy. Yeah, but Digimon took it even one step further with uh, with um, Lilymon. Like that's just a woman, a plant woman. So. Yeah. 
No, I mean, Look, definitely. Again, it's Japan. There was definitely things. I mean, we all remember the testicle general. <laughs> I don't remember the testicle general, but I'm That's glad right. I don't. So. Yeah, he was, he was literally the testicle with arms and legs. He had sunglasses and a beard. I don't remember his name. Na, uh, you're talking about Namemon. So yeah. this illustrates, again, Digimon, because they were digital – their creatures could look like anything. And if I remember correctly, there's a Digimon that's literally a pile of poop. Yep. They don't <laughs> say it, but you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'd say, like, I, I was a huge fan. Still, I'm a huge fan. So I'm excited oh, yeah. to see uh, it is getting a resurgence. The uh, In the last couple of years, they rebooted the original Digimon anime. And see, I've seen most of it. And it's really good. Plus, I, I hang out with Woonvog in person a lot, and I've seen him playing. They have these games that they release where they're like, like kind of weird detective games where yeah. you've got like a group of Digimon, like a like a Final Fantasy game kind of thing. Yeah, Digimon Cyber Sleuth. Uh, in, yeah, it's a solid RPG with some great story bits. Uh, and I'd say, <clears throat> again, not to uh, continue propagating the Digimon Pokemon comparison, <laughs> but. They kind of did the go-out-and-adventure thing first, because when they released the Digimon toys after the show got popular, uh, they, they again, remade the Tamagotchi-style things as the digivices of the show. I had one of those. Those were so cool. I wanted one of those. I had one from the second series that had the um, Armadillo-mon or whatever. And effectively, uh, they're just pedometers. So as you go walk around... The uh, the toy bounces, and as uh, as you move, the your Digimon will get experience, and it'll travel places, and you can fight and find items uh, to help make them stronger. But now they've released the newest one, and it's a Fitbit. It, it is literally just the band you put on your arm that will uh, track your uh, how far you travel, your exercise, and your Digimon will get stronger through that. And if that is not, like, the most brilliant, like, new age transition, I don't know what is. Anyway, so, yeah, uh, Digimon is one of those things that has never gone away, as we've established. It's still still going right now. But, unfortunately, because Pokemon just dominates the Earth, like, no exaggeration there, it's now, at this point, a pretty niche thing. I don't think, like, new kids get a Digimon. It's basically, if you were already into Digimon, then you're paying attention to what it's doing. Yeah. And... Yeah. Again, the newer, the newer stuff that, that's out is absolutely worth checking out. Okay, good. I've been on the fence, because I do love Digimon, and I heard it kind of came back, and it's like, eh, anime's not really my thing, this might not really be my thing, but I feel... I don't, there's not enough, we might run into the Godzilla problem, there's not an audience for it. But like the biggest thing that I kind of like at the back of my head, I kind of go is like, man, if I could get like a Pokemon movie or Pokemon series that's like 10% more mature, it's kind of age with its audience, that'd be great, but that's not the point of Pokemon. Digimon, however, could do my dream war movie with Pokemon, because that show got about as dark as a kid's show could get at times. Yeah, like I said, you all remember where we were when Leomon died. Uh, which time? Because they always kill Leomon. Yeah. I'm talking the first time, and God, he drifts away, and it's like, no! Yeah, no, we, me and, me and Moonbog has pointed out, like, Leomon is that series' whipping boy, and he shows up in every series for the purpose of getting killed. If, we, if they do do live-action Digimon, he has to be voiced by Sean Bean. 
That makes wonderful yeah. sense. Because the, the voice I, would be perfect, and everyone, it would, you know, the meme writes itself, but I yeah. can see the voice. The sun rises, the tide moves in and out, and Leomon dies protecting the Digidestined. It happens. Uh, yeah. I'll have to go watch some Digimon now. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, to start our, our second round, because we do two rounds of things and to fill up time, <laughs> my I will go with another cartoon from the same kind of period of time, because, again, YouTube has been shoving scenes of it at me, which is called Shaolin Showdown. Now, Love I, that show. Okay, glad to hear it. Uh, I know Ulrich's at least aware of it. I watched a bit of this one because I like the voice acting. It was a pretty good one. And it had that thing I like of there's a collecting element to the show. It's like, I want to see what they collect next. Yeah, so the basic idea for anyone who doesn't know, because Shallon Showdown, I'm pretty sure that is a Disney show, right? It was on Cartoon Network, or, no, it was on WB. It was on WB. Oh, WB. Why do I keep thinking everything's Disney shows? Maybe it's because of... Because we live in the world where everything is a Disney show. That's fair. Actually, you... In the before times, children, there were multiple networks. I remember it being on Cartoon Network, you're right now, but I don't remember it being on WB. I think I just started catching it when it got moved to Cartoon Network. But anyway... Well, Cartoon Network would get it when the season ended, it would go to Cartoon Network. Yeah. Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, I know there was a follow-up series. I don't know how well remembered oh, it is now. Series? I didn't know yeah, that. there was a, there was like a second series, which I didn't know. But the basic premise of Shaolin Showdown is that there is a group of like monks, you know, Shaolin monks essentially, and there are these items in the world called Shengong Wu, which Shengong Wu are like, oh, man, it's almost like Warehouse 13 before Warehouse 13 was a thing. They are. Normal seeming items that have been imbued with some sort of, uh, cartoon magic, essentially. It's like chi, um, and there's good chi and there's bad chi, and the bad chi is called like Halen. All that's not important. The point is that these items exist, and there is a monk monastery who's dedicated to trying to collect them to keep them out of the hands of evil and the Halen, and they go out and they collect, uh, four kids, from different cultures, which right there was one of the coolest things to me, just the fact that the main characters were all from different cultures. Mm-hmm. And they are a team, essentially. A team that each member has an Avatar-esque connection to an element, which this predate Avatar? I'm pretty sure it predate yeah, Avatar. Yeah, it predates Avatar. Okay. By so, a little bit. Yeah, by a little So we've got, uh, I don't remember all their, no, I do remember all the names. So we have Omi, who is the like actual like Tibetan kind of kid who looks kind of like Krillin from Dragon Ball Z, but even more so. <laughs> and he is the water master, and he's also, uh, I believe, was he voiced by Tara Strong? He was. Yes. Okay, he's voiced by Tara Strong, so he's got that Timmy Turner kind of voice going on. He's uh, arrogant and super into being, he, like, he thinks he's the leader of the team. Uh, it, it's more Timmy Turner by way of uh, Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures. Yeah. Kind of, does he talk like this? Yeah, true. So, so there's Omi, who's ostensibly the main character when you first see the show, but, uh, then you have Kimiko, who I think is supposed to be Japanese, yes. if I remember correctly. She is the fire master, and she is, okay, the show's not perfect. This is an early 2000s action show where there's one girl in the main cast, and so she's, who's a fire manipulator, she's the fiery preteen girl. Voiced by Great Oil. Voice, she was voiced by Great Delisle. That's awesome. <laughs> I forgot that, but Great Delisle is awesome. Anyway. Proto-Azula. Proto-Azula. Holy shit, she is. Oh, okay. Anyway, then there was Clay, who was American, like, 
super American. He's a cowboy who wears a Stetson and who is an earth manipulator and who speaks in a drawl. Uh, and then there's Raimundo, who is, um, I think he's supposed to be Brazilian. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's the wind manipulator and he is, uh, relaxed and chill and kind of like goofy. And it turns out that he's closer to the main character than any of them really, because he's the one who gets, arcs and stories and whatnot that interact with the other villains more. I mean, Omi gets a thing with a certain villain, but not the point. And then as far as villains go, the main villain is this kid, Jack Spicer, who's basically a genius inventor who figures out that Shen Gan Wu exists and he's trying to collect them so he can, he has dreams of being an evil mastermind. Take over the world. Yeah, but he's basically... That's, that's what hooked me on this show. I was like, I like... Yeah, but Jack Spicer is basically like, you know, your go-to shredder kind of character and that he was never really taken too seriously. He is the, <sighs> he's the, Bill, by? um, uh, the brother from Boy Meets World. I know that, but I can't Freddy. His name. Yes. Danny Cooksey. Danny Cooksey. What? Must have just Mandela affect myself because I couldn't assure it was Will Freddy. I think he's, they have similar voices. I mix them up all the time. So, but anyway, yeah, Jack Spicer is not really a serious threat. He's just like the everyday threat, but, he is being advised by a literal ghost named, like, Wuya, I think, who is the ghost of, like, an ancient sorceress. And there's a whole plot line where she manages to trick Raimundo into helping her, and she gets her body back, and she is not made for a kid's show when she gets her body back. <laughs> so she is – we were talking about this earlier with animators are horny. This happened here. And then the the last two villains are there's a guy named Chase Young who is an immortal dragon warrior essentially who is humanoid but has a dragon form. And then there's an entity the biggest enemy of the villain series is called Hannibal Bean. It's literally an evil bean with a face that has no actual physical power but is just better at anything else in the reality at manipulating and controlling people, which is actually kind of an adult idea a lot that's surprising in the show. But the basic premise of what a Shaolin showdown is, is that if two people touch a Shengong Wu at the same time, that, and they want it from each other, then it creates something called a Shaolin showdown, which is not a straight fight, it's a contest related to whatever the Shengong Wu is, and whoever wins the contest gets to get the item. So. I made the mistake of googling her human form, cause I didn't remember it. Oh no. You see what I mean, though, <laughs> with Wuya? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, okay, that's from the show. That that That's not from this show. That is most <laughs> definitely not. Shame on you people. This is a children's program. Yeah, you you should not have searched for Wuya with Safe Search Off. Anyway. <laughs> I think that was with Safe Search On. I don't want to know what I would have found with it off. <laughs> yeah, but point is that it was a – it has the DNA of a lot of other – more popular, more successful shows. Like I said, it's got the elemental control thing that Avatar would then go on to perfect. It's got like a collect all the the blank thing like Jackie Chan Adventures had with the talismans and like, you know, Pokemon has with the basic guy to catch them all principle. It's got a it's just got a lot of like good DNA from other shows. It had I think three seasons and then a follow up show where the art style changed entirely. I was not aware this existed until I Googled it like a couple days ago. So and I have no idea what that's about. But anyway I didn't know it existed. Yeah. It was a it was a fun uh, a fun show with pretty fun characters and something about like the you know basic idea of like a bunch of kids from different cultures with magical powers and magical items and it you know, it was fun. It's kind of to me what a solid 
like kids cartoon, like a, a template for what a good solid kids cartoon should be, I guess. Yeah, no, this was fun. I didn't watch a lot of this because this kind of fell outside when I was watching cartoons. But my little brother did, and it was, you know, enjoyable enough. Like I said, it had the hook of, ooh, collectibles, and that magpie part of my brain was like, I want to see all the collectibles. The To give an example, the only <laughs> Shengong Wu I remember, literally the only one, is uh, called the Two-Ton Tunic. And it's it's just a shirt, but when you put it on, it turns into armor. So. <laughs> Oh, there's uh, so many interesting ones, too. Like, there was the yin-yang yo-yo, which would allow you to teleport, uh, but it would specifically take you through a reverse a reverse world to get there. Uh, initially separated into two, the yin-yo-yo and the yang-yo-yo, which, if used separately, it would change your moral polarity. Oh, so, I remember this, actually. So there was one Shaolin showdown where the uh oh that was that was the other rule of the Jalen showdown uh to win the Shengong Wu item that was up for contest you also had to bet one that you used that's right so depending on how many you used in the fight you risked losing them as well because you could only use in the fight the one you bet <clears throat> yes so that's right there there's interesting rules to the Shaolin showdown anyway <laughs> but they used the uh, one was using the yin yo-yo, the other the yang. So it kept, they kept basically just teleporting and then coming out either evil or good for the other. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I do remember that there's a big plot line, like a Teen Titans-esque plot line, where Chase Young uses the, I think the yang yo-yo to reverse Omi's polarity to evil. And so then Omi goes evil for like a season finale, so... <laughs> But anyway, Chase Young's one of those really cool characters that's basically like evil Danny from Game of Phantom or something. Yes. So. Oh. Anyway. Right, so I'll go next. Like, I flip-flopped on this one, but I went with one that I felt was the lesser scene of the two. And uh, I'm going to talk about Raising Hope. Did you guys ever watch that? I don't even know what that is. I didn't you know, know. Raising Okay, are you familiar with My Name is Earl? Yeah. Same creator. Oh, okay. For the record, I love My Name is Earl, and I'm really mad that it ended on a colossal cliffhanger that we never got to resolve, but anyway. Oh, so that's half the fun. So, real quick, this is the basic run, and it's a fun little family sitcom about a guy in his 20s living at home with his parents who happened to live with his mother's great-grandmother all under one home when he finds out that he knocked up a serial killer Ah. ah. and has a baby with her only for her to be executed. So now he is, you know, 23 with a child. He's a call, he's a high school dropout. His parents are high school dropout and they're all kind of, you know, living under the poverty line. But it's a comedy because it's all about, you know, how this dysfunctional family makes a functioning family and the trials and tribulations of being it. And it's funny because this is the same creator of My Name is Earl. Uh-huh. And it starts, like, the opening thing is they're listening to a newscast, and you're like, and now we catch up with a man, with a lottery winner who's been crossing off the bad deeds on his list. You won't believe how this story ended. And then oh. he gets smashed. Oh, that's just mean. <laughs> oh, no, it gets better, because he also ca- took a lot of the actors from My Name is Earl and put them in his show. But as the show went on, it blended between My Name is Earl being an actual event and My Name is Earl being a show, including one point a movie poster of My Name is Earl the movie. Huh. 
Uh, and one of my favorite jokes being when they meet the NBC executive, one of the characters uh, asked, which one of you is the NBC executive? The guy raises his hand, kicks him in the balls. That's for canceling. My name is Earl. <laughs> and the executive goes, that wasn't under me. I liked that show. <laughs> and before I circle back to the plot and why this all works, ultimately this show is canceled as well because it was on our favorite network, Fox. Oh, Fox. One of the three great cancelers. For the exact reasons that you would expect Fox to cancel the show. Well, we didn't know where to put it, so we kept shuffling it around, and then no one watched it. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but the big highlight of this show, and the reason I love it so much, is Cloris Leachman is playing uh, Mama, the great-grandmother, mm-hmm. who is most, whose biggest, she's the driving comedy thing, in that she's, it's fun dementia. Fun dementia, that sounds dangerous. Well, in that it's dementia, but it's kind of a joke, and that she has moments of lucidity where she's very smart and very competent, but then just kind of, you know, dips out of it. And it's a really funny, really good, really heartfelt show. And I think the best part of it is this is a family that is struggling, and it doesn't shy away from the fact of how hard that is. Well, I mean, you got that feeling in My Name is Earl, too. Like, Earl yes, had money, but you saw it's that same follow-through. Yeah. It's like, it sucks to be poor. It's hard to be poor. And this one, like, where My Name is Earl was kind of like just, people that live at that level. This one's kind of like a family that lives at that level. And it's like how hard they all have to work just to make it, you know, pull it together. But it's tied together by this sense of family. I mean, I'm on board. That was one of the original draws of uh, the original Roseanne. And while there's a lot there mm-hmm. we can talk about, we won't. So <laughs> it's the same thing. Like I said, if you like my name is Earl, you're going to like this because it's the same kind of themes and jokes. It has a will they, won't they that, that ends with they will, and then it doesn't do any. It's like okay, cool, and now we're on to the next thing. By the way, if uh, if you're only just listening to this and not familiar with us, will they won't they is one of Ulrich's most absolutely hated tropes. So if he admits it's in a show and still is recommending that show, good sign. It's so good. It's a very darkly funny show, but basically it's all about you know this family trying to make it work with all the struggles, and you know young fatherhood and. You know, what it's like because, of course, his parents had him when they were just kids. So, you know, what it's like to be a young parent of a young parent. Uh, did you did you watch My Name is Earl at no? um, I never saw much of it, admittedly. Yeah. Woonvog doesn't watch a whole lot of live action stuff. Not for any particular reason, just because it doesn't really come up. So that's why I was curious. So. Yeah, so I missed out on a, bit, on a good chunk of it from younger years. And I think that there eventually is a My Name is Earl reunion, and the jokes that are just, they're great. Like, they get the entire cast back, but they're not the original cast. Like, the actor that plays Randy comes back, but he has a mustache now. Hmm. And there's a joke like, sorry to be crabby at you, man. Hmm. Like, the, jo- the joke is, we know you know what we're doing, but we're not going to say we know what you're doing. That sounds That sounds pretty wonderful. It sounds like... I'm trying to think of, like, other people who have done something like that. I feel like Dan Harmon has done stuff like that with, like, the music and whatnot. Yes, it's very Harmon-esque. Like I said, there's another joke where Jason Lee comes back, and they've got the character oh, that plays Kenny. He's a different character, and he's like, oh, thanks, Kenny. Like, wait, who? And, like, again, the whole joke of the show is, I made My Name is Earl. These actors are My Name is Earl. But I'm not going to tell you whether that was a show or that was the next town over. Like, they frequently reference events happening in it but they also talk about the show and because sitcoms think the idea of internal consistency is dumb (laughs) yes and it's such a fun 
good, hilarious show. Like I said, Cloris Leachman is hilarious, and she really carries this show. And it's got some incredibly, like, when it goes kind of sad and dark, it's some of the most, like, heartbreaking stuff. One episode in particular. You should message me that so I can add it to my, I've got a a folder full of bookmarks of shows I want to watch. I still haven't finished Resident Alien yet, but uh, I'll add it to my list because I I think this would resonate with you. Probably. I mean, I grew up poor, so. Yeah. Like I said, it's, there's, I got there's another great joke, you know, where the pizza delivery man's there and they have to take off toppings because they can't afford them as they dig for change. <laughs> like, what are we down to? Pepperoni and cheese. All right. We don't find a dollar fifty. What's the point? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Where, oh, where is it available? Uh, this is currently up on Hulu right now. Hulu? All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Winfog, do you have a final item <clears throat> for us? I guess, uh, kind of continuing the trend of, uh, Battle, battle cartoons that didn't get enough limelight because Pokemon dominated everything. Uh, Metabots. <clears throat> now, Metabots is a thing that I didn't really engage with at all, and I don't know if Ulrich did, but I would not be surprised at all if Ulrich did, even despite his hatred for him. I loved Metabots. I am not at all surprised. Like, this literally, one I forgot existed until I discovered the internet and I could find out what it was. This was my shit. <laughs> yeah. Now, Metabots was, <clears throat> for anyone not in the know, a show about set, set in the world, uh, suit, uh, sort of future thing. Everyone has these little, uh, Robotic helpers, uh, you know, people use them around stores, small activities, usually helping, helping with work and such. Uh, but kids will use them in, in fights. And there's usually like tournaments to see who can, who can build a better robot. You can play for parts to upgrade, to upgrade your metabot to make them stronger for fighting. Uh, and, Again, in a similar fashion to Pokemon, since it's a lot of it is based around the popularity of beetle fighting in Japan, most of them are insect-based as well. The anime was about a kid who he didn't have one. Again, running on the running on the it's no fun being poor. <laughs> uh, he ends up finding <clears throat> excuse me. He ends up finding an old busted model in, like, the local dump, and ends up finding a special chip to run it, but unlike other metabots, his seemed to come with its own AI. Mm. So instead of just listening to him, it, it becomes, like, a person that he that actually argues with him. Getting real Steel vibes <clears> in this description. Very much, yes. Especially fun, because, you know, the... Uh, it's not like they're little toys... These these robots are children sized. Yeah, I remember seeing and weaponized. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing pictures of it. They're like three to four feet tall, right? So. Yeah, yeah, around that size. Because uh, Metabead, which is the name of the of the main Metabot, super original, I know. Hmm. Uh, he stands about the same height as the main kid, and at least the kids are probably like eleven or so. Yeah, like definitely old, like older grade school. Yeah, okay. Maybe young junior high. <clears throat> but the I'd say one of the biggest uh things of interest from the anime is it was effectively the the starting ground for a lot of big name 
big names in the anime industry today. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I say that without having any names to say off the top of my head. But you've uh, probably read like articles that mention this. Yeah. Kind of- yeah. So specifically, if you want to look into it too, uh, Mother's Basement, Jeff Thu did a video on Metabots and he goes into deep detail about how like people who eventually went to work on <clears throat> even bigger names in anime started in Metabots. And looking back at the anime, it shows, because while it has a simpler design, it's so fluid and the animation is great. Like all the fights, all the fights mesh. Uh, there's a hilarious joke about any time the, uh, a, a battle starts, the referee will always appear. <laughs> like no matter where they are, that old man gets there to be, to make it an official battle. Let's get ready to rumble. I remember that. And then like the other thing was like you gambled parts. So like if you destroyed your enemy, you got to take a piece of their robot, which was awesome. Yeah, so it sounds kind of horrifying, but <laughs> well, only if they have sentience. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing is for the most part it seems that Meta B is the only one that does. Mm. But it also kind of shows that through that the main character, which Lord knows well I remember his name, he actually builds a friendship with Meta B where most most of the other kids and like of course the antagonists don't see them as anything more than just toys. Mm. Weaponized highly deadly toys. Yes. I'm also getting a Beyblade vibe from the description. I was never a fan of Beyblade, but I'm just saying the description sounds similar. <laughs> yeah. I'd say it never took itself as seriously as Beyblade. And that's yeah, I remember being very tongue-in-cheek, and I remember the relationship, like the best I can describe it, is very akin to Axel and I's and very antagonistic. Hmm. Like they would frequently break down in just fist fights because Metabee would not do what he wanted to do or didn't like what he wanted him to do. <laughs> Yeah. So there was lots of fighting. Again, yeah. I had forgotten this existed. Like, it existed as, I remember that big yellow robot, and I remember the guns. What was it called? And then, you know, Age of the Internet Exploration. It's like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. I loved that. I don't know if it was good, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. I love when that's the kind of thought you process you can have for a show, where it's like, I have fond memories of this. I kind of don't want to revisit it just in case. <laughs> yeah, Again, a couple in not so many words, the uh, the relationship between uh, I just looked it up, uh, Iki and Metabi is effectively, hey Metabi, can you help me with this problem I'm having? Hey Iki, can you piss off? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong in comparing that here. <laughs> can you piss off? That's great. So yeah, it's like very antagonistic, but in <laughs> in a lot more of a friend way and. Usually when uh, when it came down to it, they worked together well. I mean, honestly, everything of everything you said, that's the thing that makes me want to watch an episode more than anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I I don't I don't have any relationship with the show, so I got no concluding thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you, it was just fun. Like I said, that was uh, we may eventually we will get back to our cartoon episodes where we break down the cartoons of the decade by the channels. If I ever figure out where the fuck we left off. <laughs> no idea. So I got a file somewhere. 
because like a lot of these fall in that one. Then maybe we'll do like a like just general wrapping up. I think we have to do a Digimon episode at some point. I don't know what it looks like, but I've wanted to do a Digimon episode for a while, and this proves to me that there is at least twenty minutes of content. All right. Well, then, in the interest of of time, since we've now gone through our six topics, and this is a quote unquote standard episode, we still have suggestions of the week to do. Yeah. So. And I want to jump us right into it because I've got a very important suggestion, which is the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, which deserves your money and time and attention. Nice second bet. Yeah. So, uh, Woonbog and I, we go to the films, we go to the cinema every Sunday to, I've got Real Unlimited and he does too, and it's like, make use of it. And that movie, which got a seemingly very limited release for some reason, is so far, the best movie of the year, I think, bar none. And it's hard to talk about it because I don't want to spoil things. Like, just go watch the trailer for it. But it's, it's I will ch- say my understanding of it from the trailers. But it's Michelle Yao becomes yo, yo becomes unstuck from her dimension and bounces between the multiverse versions of herself to eventually team up for an awesome kick-ass adventure. Effectively, effectively, the the yeah. key the key conceit. Well, one of the key conceits is that she's not actually going into other universes. She is quantum leaping into other universe versions of herself. And when she does that, she can pick up memories and skills of that other self that she can then bring back into her prime self. So in order to like, oh, I'm about to be in a fight, I have to quantum leap into a version of me that learned martial arts so I can get martial arts skills. But... One of the other conceits of the movie is that in order to make that quantum leap happen, she has to do something that she wouldn't normally do to basically open the doorway. So, like, there's an example where a character wants to jump into another version of himself, so he has to give himself a paper cut between every finger on his oh, left hand. Oh, God. But that's something he would never normally do. So doing that opens the door to to make the jump. And... That leads to a whole lot of other funny, ridiculous ideas. And the movie is like a, mostly a seemingly a comedy for a lot of it. And then the ending does that thing that the best movies do where it hits you in a way you never expected. It does something with the multiverse concept that I've never seen before. And it's, it blew me away. So. Yeah, no, this is one everyone I know is raving about it, and I'm excited for it, but I'm also afraid of, like, what if I don't like it? I don't want to not like it. <laughs> I honestly, Ulrich, based on my knowledge of your taste, I think you're not going to like it as much as me, and I think you're probably going to think it's overhyped, but I think you will recognize that it's a good movie. Here's yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that this, the hyping is going to create an unreachable quality, you know? Yeah, so I want to be very clear. I think everyone should give it time and money, but I do think based on you specifically, Ulrich, I think that you're not going to rave about it, but I think you will recognize that it's a good movie. So, mm-hmm. All right, so I'll go next. Uh, this is a book suggestion I'm going to throw out, and I'm going to encourage everyone to read. Uh, this is called Devolution by Max Brooks, who wrote the incredible uh, World War Z. Not, don't think of the terrible movie. Think of the awesome book. <laughs> Seriously, think of the awesome book. So... You got you got to bear with me in the premise because it's going to sound weird, but just bear with me. It's about a small community of people. There's like a dozen people living out in the woods just off, you know, outside Rainier, Mount Rainier. And they have this little, it's the first perfectly green community. 
everything about solar powered, recycled. They can do everything and they can all telecommute to work because these are all big wigs. And it's the, you know, way of the future. It's the way we're going to stop global warming is we have all these little communities that all the nice things of 21st century living without any of the negative. Okay. And then Rainier explodes. Wow. Like erupts and destroys Seattle, and it causes untold uh, destruction, which is very terrifying because I'm leaving this like, oh, this is these are places, I, oh, no, that's where I live. Oh, no, that, that's <laughs> near where I live. And then it talks about, you know, and the rescue was delayed because there's no money in FEMA, and the government's incompetent. Like, oh, no, we just saw how, you know, the government's handed the pandemic. How would they handle this actual real event? So suddenly this, you know, little commune area, they're cut off. They don't have, you know, basic tools or knowledge to survive they don't have you know they're they don't have anything this isn't how it's supposed to work but that's not the premise of the book this is where you got to stay with me the premise of the book is when rainier exploded it caused a migration not just any migration a migration of sasquatch uh, 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 there's a fascinating turn that's yeah that's a 90 degrees right there uh-huh and because Max Brooks is very good at taking, like, weird concepts like zombies and going, okay, now I'm going to tie this to, you know, real science and real history and stuff. And he starts breaking down, like, you know, monkeys eat other monkeys and hunt other monkeys and are very violent. Like, a chimpanzee will eat a baby, no problem. <laughs> and here's documented times they will. And then he goes, and let's look at, you know, the typical structure of how Sasquatch is described. He's got a big cone-shaped head. You know what else has a big cone-shaped head? Gorillas. Do you know gorillas have the strongest bite force of any, you know, uh, primate? Okay. They also are extremely long-limbed, meaning they can run really fast. I'm sensing some violence coming from Especially Sasquatch. with those big feet. And you start to go, oh, fuck. If Bigfoot was real, it's totally a predator. Oh, like everything about how this is designed is a predator. And then what happens when this predator comes across these soft people that have no idea how to defend themselves and it becomes a horror movie? Horror Sasquatch. I just like watched that hippie get ate by a goddamn same squatch. <laughs> yes. Like the book is structured very much like a horror movie in that you have the first act of everything being set up. The second act is, you know, okay, shit's going on. Could it really be the monster? And the third act is the monsters are literally picking us off one by one. We can't do anything against them because it's six feet, seven feet tall and designed to kill me and we don't have any weapons. Okay. That sounds intrins or in interestingly horrifying yeah <laughs> it's so good like this is the one and this is the craziest part was it's written as a journal you know like the main character is writing down in the journal and then it's intercut with you know actual like factoids and interviews to make it real like he discovered this and i know the character is going to survive till the end of this chapter because she wrote this chapter but i'm still busily turning the pages to find out if she's going to be okay that's how engrossed in this book i was all right so de-evolution by max brooks yes all right all right, Wunvar, do you have a suggestion for us? A bit of a suggestion, more of a in memoriam. Uh, it's like just a respectful uh, re- uh, rest in peace to Neil Adams. He was a yeah. graphic designer for car- or for uh, comic books, mainly DC. Uh, he was a huge, or he just passed away uh, a few days back. Uh, huge name in creators' rights for uh, for comic creators. Uh, and helped co-create some big names like Rachel Ghoul and John Stewart with the Green Lantern. Those are good, good creations. So yeah, if you uh, so just I'd say over this weekend, you know, go go enjoy some DC comics or go watch some old Justice League. 
uh, and, uh, you know, appreciate, appreciate the, uh, wonderful things this man helped bring to the world. All right. Excellent. Well, that brings us to basically our end. So, Woonvog, thanks for chatting with us. I mean, you know you're always welcome, and I hang out with you literally every week, but still thank you anyway. So. Always always a good time. I'm going to go find some more holes in the labyrinth now. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do whatever it is the podcast gods demand of you this week so that we do not fall into the shadow and get eaten by Sathwatch. And just because I kind of skipped over it, is there anything specifically you want to plug, Woonvog, with the special soapbox? Uh, go look up the Creative Horror Podcasts. Uh, I I have nothing to actually do with them directly. I am just an avid fan. Uh, they do a bunch of great stories about focusing on horror and all of its and all of its styles, including Midnight Marinara, which is radio plays based off of uh, mostly creepypastas, Undercooked Analysis, where they read stories sent in by fans and give uh, some humor, humorous critiques on them, as well as the newest series called The Jameson Tapes, which is two friends sitting back and talking about a horror movie that they've watched recently, uh, of which they've recently th- done The Bye Bye Man, and have talked about how it is not worth your time. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, do this slightly out of order here, but whether you're listening to this, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or the FiresideLines.com, thank you. And if there's another platform you'd rather us be on, tell us what it is so we can look into it. Until then, we can be rated on Spotify, and, you know, you can hopefully tell us that we did a good job. But if we did a bad job, you can tell us that, too, and we'll try to make things better. So we like feedback. As always, this has been Lord Commander Auric. And the Shield Brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.